Welcome to the Ordinary Investors Podcast with your hosts, Sean and Leah Baker. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Ordinary Investors Podcast. Uh, we're here with Mike Johnson today, a special guest. We've known Mike for a long time. He is a host of the Sales Beast Podcast. He is uh, the team leader at McKay Realty Network, and he's also an investor. So we've had the privilege of knowing him for a long time. Mike, thanks for joining us. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, what got you started in real estate investing? Yeah, guys, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, so about myself, so I guess one thing you guys might not know, I'm not from here originally. I'm from uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia, so born and raised out there. Um, I moved to Ontario to do my master's in business. I thought my ticket was to move to Toronto and get a job working for corporate. Quickly found out that that wasn't the case. I didn't enjoy it. Um, it was kind of like, uh, you guys ever watch that show, Prison Break? Um, yes. That That's what I was doing at my job. So I was pretty, I like to think I was pretty good at my job. So eight hour day, I would get it done, get my work done in four hours. And the other four hours was Prison Break. So I'd listen to podcasts, read books, try and figure out how I could get myself out of that situation. And one of the podcasts I always listened to, it was called Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. Listen to that one in bigger pockets. Breakthrough resonated more with me um, because the two people that hosted it were from Ontario, where I was living. So one day, I um, on my lunch break, I, I got the courage to call the guy's name is Rob Brake. He was out of Oshawa because um, I, me, and my wife were ready to buy an investment property. We read all the the Rain books, which are amazing. Um, so I called Rob. He didn't answer. And then I called the other guy, his name was Sandy McKay, and I knew they were both realtors. Um, so Sandy actually picked up and I said, Sandy, my voice was kind of quivering. I thought he was a celebrity at that point, um, which he is a celebrity, he's a rock star. So my voice was quivering. I said, Sandy, my name is Mike Johnson. I, I really like what you're doing. Can you please sell me a house? Me and my wife want to buy an investment property. Um, now that I know how our, our business works, you probably thought this is the easiest lead ever. This guy's calling me, <laughs> asking, like begging me if, uh, if I can sell him a house. It's awesome. That's so anyways, I met with Sandy that weekend and uh, quickly fell in love with him. My wife fell in love with him. We met his wife, Kate, and thought they were amazing. Um, he sold us a house and he sold us another house after house two, which was about three months after the first one. Um, we decided this guy, Sandy guy is really cool and his wife is really cool. We want to go do what they're doing. Um, and that was my escape. I signed up for my real estate courses during that time. I think he sold us our third house. Um, and I, I decided I'm going to go quit this job. I was working at Honda Canada and be like Sandy. Um, and that's what I've been doing ever since trying my best to be like Sandy. I'm not quite there yet, but, uh, still young. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that, uh, you started at a much, uh, earlier age than, uh, than Sandy as well, or, uh, kind of what, what's your guys age gap there? Probably similar. He's 37. I believe I'm 33. Yeah. And I think he's been at it for about four years longer than me. So very similar, I would say. That's amazing. 
Um, so I guess uh, getting into it to get out of the day-to-day -day work at where you were at right now and or at the time and then um, kind of looking for um, kind of more inside your life at that point. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, you don't oftentimes in life, you don't know what you don't know. I, I heard this concept recently. We're all climbing our mountain, whatever version of that mountain is. And depending on where we're at on the mountain, you only have a certain vantage point. Um, you can't see the peak. So when I worked for Honda Canada, I, I couldn't see the peak, um, or at least the peak at that point in time was a lot lower for me than where it is today. And I, I've always been pretty good about writing my goals out. And I, uh, I remember writing, my goal is to work for Honda Canada for 20 years and buy a house every second year, so 10 homes. And when I plugged in with Sandy, that happened in three years. It's amazing what happens if you if you surround yourself with the right people. Um, it's a game changer. Yes, absolutely. Um, one question for you. Was it real estate investing as like, was that you're out of the industry or were you just doing that to like save up for your retirement, um, save up for your future? Um, kind of bring us back to that beginning. What was it about real estate investing that attracted you and why did you get into it? So it, it was nothing about retirement. It was about escape and escaping relatively quickly. I guess at the time I thought 20 years was quick. My parents were 35 years in corporate each. Um, so if I could get out in 20, that was a huge win for me. Um, I've always been a dreamer. So I, I saw many people at Honda. When I got there, they had, uh, it was a defined contribution pension. Um, one or two years before I showed up, they had to define benefit. So there were people there my age and younger than me that had been with that company that had the coveted defined benefit pension. You work for us for the rest of your life until you're a senior citizen and we'll pay you 70% of your highest five years. Wow. And I, I almost wanted to puke in my mouth seeing a 20 year old kid or a 25 year old kid that was sticking around with this company doing something they didn't like um, and planning on doing that for the next 25 years simply so they could get 70% of a hundred grand um, when they're a senior citizen. <laughs> no, that, that is not for me. I totally at feel all. Like there. It, it, it uh, feels like that, uh, you know, the song everybody's working for the weekend and yeah. you're just, you're just doing your day to day and getting through the years and it, it just all starts to blend together. I remember being mm -hmm. in that, that same spot and uh, I was working for actually a, a supplier for Honda and Toyota at the time that uh, okay. kind of had the wheel spinning at that. And I was always looking for that, that out. How am I going to get out of here and do something that I enjoy doing instead of just being here doing this monotonous work all the time. Right. So uh, yeah, I totally feel you there. Um, I don't regret it at all. I, I didn't enjoy it at the time, but oftentimes those things you don't enjoy in your past prepare you um, for what you're going to encounter in your future. So I, the job was amazing in some ways. I, I got the opportunity to work with some extremely talented people. My, uh, the guy managing me, he was, I think his title at that point was, uh, senior manager of for Canada for sales, which in that company, that's where you wanted to be. You wanted to be in sales. Um, and he was 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was my age at that time. Now, now I think he's senior VP of sales at Honda Canada. So my job was really to incentivize customers to buy cars and incentivize dealers to sell more cars. So I had the greatest mentor ever in him. And a lot of what our team does today, I got from them. So we would run contests for dealers. If you sell X number of Civics over a three-month period, we'll take you down to Mexico for a vacation or we'll take you to Boston for a sports weekend. Now, that's something we do here. If you hit your targets, we'll take you to Mexico. And I, I even I take our guys here to the exact same resort I took the dealers to when I was at Honda, which is kind of cool. That's awesome. So it was like a full circle moment being able to implement those as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so what type of investing uh, did you get into when, when you first started out that journey and uh, kind of what does it look like now? So when we started, we didn't have much money. Um, when I started working there, I, I knew this is what I wanted to do. So well, housing prices were a lot lower back then. The first house I bought was about 200 grand. Um, so we saved up 10K, bought the first house. And then saved up another 10k bought the second house first one in my wife's name next one in my name um then from there i I was always decent with sharing what we were doing on social media on facebook and instagram so i noticed family members started reaching out and friends started reaching out um property number three was a a joint venture partnership with family member um since bought a couple with them kept sharing things. Um, I used to do this thing. Uh, I was fortunate. I worked with Sandy and then this other guy, his name was Adrian Pinozo. They bought a lot of real estate. Um, so what I would do is go film a video in the homes that they owned. And I think what happened was it gave the appearance to the world of social media that I own those properties. Look at this beautiful three unit multifamily home in Hamilton. This is what it looked like before. This is what it looks like now. As you can see, quartz countertops are out, pot lights are out. I anticipate this unit will rent for this. I think people just assumed that I owned all these homes, um, which I didn't and I never claimed to. Um, and then people started reaching out. How do I get involved? How do I do that? Well, I can go sell you a house and put you in touch with my trades, or we can do it together. And a lot of people, they're, the homes, uh, the inventory in the city where I work and live is pretty old. Um, and a lot of people are intimidated to buy a 100, 150 year old home, got it to the studs and renovated. And I think I was just so young and stupid. I didn't know any different. Um, I was willing to do it. I presented myself with confidence and people signed up. Awesome. And you had some so great- were you- Oh, sorry, Sean. Um, so were you flipping um, these old like century homes in the beginning and were they all multifamily? Uh, so I wasn't flipping. I've only done one flip in my life. Um, okay. Went well, but uh, I didn't enjoy it. Um, all of them were buy. So after the first two we did, everything was a buy, renovate, refinance. Um, so we buy in Hamilton, you have these old century two and a half stories, similar inventory to what you'd see in Toronto um convert them to legal duplex or and and basically chop them up nice and then get the uh force appreciation in there so drives the value up and um you're able to kind of rinse and repeat that uh that refinance money right yeah exactly awesome so uh what's on the horizon what's next uh, for you what are your what are your goals moving forward with investing are you looking to continue that path or are you looking to get into 
and uh, other areas of investing as well. So most most recently, getting involved with the smaller apartment buildings. So they're normally purpose built, not dependent on my income. It's dependent on the performance of the building. I find that a lot more enjoyable. Um, what was stressful at times in working on the residential side was that you were at the mercy of the market. So if a how if I needed to hit a nine hundred thousand dollar ARV to get my money out of a deal, and the house next door sold for eight, um, there you go, I'm leaving money in. Um, there's a lot less variance in appraisals um, when you do five units or above. So I can go into a purchase if I'm if I'm comfortable with the cost of the renovation. I, I can know. 95% certainty um, how much money I'll pull out of that that deal. The other thing, there are a lot of things I would do different if I could go back. Um, like I, I over leveraged and I feel that today. Um, everything I did was with Scotia. Um, all my mortgages, so there are two types of variable mortgages. Um, I believe it's adjustable. It's the name of one. So when the rates go up, your payment doesn't necessarily go up. You pay more to interest and less to principal, but the payment remains static. Every time rates go up with one of my properties, my payment goes up. So for me, what cash flowed 1200 bucks a year ago is now almost at zero. Um, wow. So if I could go back, I probably wouldn't have been as aggressive. I wouldn't own as much today. Um, it's nice as a realtor, you see your clients pursue various different strategies. Um, I have no regrets. Okay. It's not like I'm paying a ton of money every single month to carry my properties, but, um, yeah, I've seen clients use other strategies that uh, they've done very well with. Right. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, uh, a lot of us that are in those fixed rates too, that are leveraged, uh, where we might be cash flowing right now, that story might change depending on when your mortgage renewal is and if the interest rate's going to double, uh, you know, your payment's going to change, right? So uh, it, it is a caution to to watch out with leverage. But uh, once again, you got to take those risks to be able to get to the goals that you want. And as long as that's a comfortable risk and uh, you know, then it's uh, something that you can weather any type of storm and uh, the key, key was that you had cash flow, right? So uh, yeah, it might not be as plentiful as it was before. At least it's still at that break even, right? Yeah. The other thing too, like it depends on your lifestyle. Um, so I grew up in a house. Both my parents were accountants, so they they didn't drive luxury cars. Um, they didn't spend a lot of money. They they gave me the best life ever but they were very conscious of what was coming in and what was going out every single month. And I'm, I'm kind of wired the same way. So I'm not the salesperson that the day they become a salesperson before they ever sell their product goes out and buys a Tesla or buys a luxury car. Um, I, I do everything I do in my life is based on ratio. So I'll go back to my first big boy job and say, how much did your car cost at that point in time relative to what you were making. Um, so I'll get the Bentley at some point when my ratios match up. I have no problem with getting a nice car. Um, but I, I, I know those numbers. I was paying, I think I got a good deal because I was working at Honda 
I think my car payment was a hundred and it's like $182 a month. And I was making 65 grand, about 70 after the bonus. So I'll just do the math on that. I didn't get, I drove a Honda Civic. I didn't get a new car until my ratios were the exact same. And that's how I try and approach everything in life. So if I want the Lamborghini or the Bentley or whatever it is at some point in my future, I know exactly how much money I need to make to get that. That's amazing. It's, it's so important to be in tune with your money. And uh, I, I uh, can resonate with that as well. I know that Leah and I were a, uh, you know, both of us working full time in a one car household. So is that we were doing the same thing, you know, it was uh, go from the Jeep that was the gas guzzler that uh, eight cylinders to uh, downsizing that Jeep down to a Corolla so that would be more economical for us as well, right? So making sure that you're, you know, in tune to your money as you're uh, looking at building, uh, building wealth and building your future, right? So it's important that you're in tune to the long range, not just the you know, short range too, right? So well, yeah. that's what I, I love about that too, is because we did, we sacrificed a lot in the beginning for that future, right? And I think that's a really important starting point for a lot of people is to understand that it feels like a huge sacrifice, but really you're setting yourself up for that future, for that amazing life and buying that dream car, right? Um, but if you don't sacrifice and you have that nicer car now, what are you what are you actually giving up in that long, long run, right? In that long term. So it's really important when you're starting out to be cautious of all of your expenses and, you know, put that money towards buying that house or that down payment. Right. Yeah. I think one thing too, when you're young, you only have to worry about you maybe, or maybe you're in a relationship. So you worry about you and that and your partner financially. Um, if you make the sacrifices early, uh, at some point in your future, you're probably going to have children. And it's the greatest gift in the world to simply be able to focus on being an amazing father or mother without having to worry about money. Um, yes, absolutely. So nice. Like I always think about that picture. I, that picture is awesome. You're uh, going down the hill. Yeah. The you're tobogganing with your kids. Yeah, yeah. And you're on. I think you're on a piece of a cardboard box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you weren't worrying about money at all. You were just out there at peace with your family and having the time of your life. Yeah. The other thing I wish someone, I kind of lucked into this, and I see this with you guys too. Um, I really think I, like the first time I ever really interacted with you was when we were in Florida together several months ago. And you guys are very similar. Um, me and my wife are very similar. I like simplicity. She likes simplicity. She's not a big spender. I'm not a big spender. I wish someone had told me that. Hey, when you engage in a re relationship with someone, it might be to your benefit if you partner with someone that has a similar perspective on financials. So I, I'm very lucky, but I can only imagine what it would feel like if I'm this cheap guy that's always trying to be frugal and I'm married to someone that's a big spender. Mm -hmm. Probably wouldn't last that long. Yeah, it, it's definitely an important piece, and and you got to be on the same page moving forward. Like uh, Leah and I talk about this all the time: is that you work together in life as a team, 
right? So it, you have a lot of, um, and what I what I witness is a lot of couples that are kind of divided inside the relationship. They almost uh, just co-live with one another. Um, but when it comes down to goal setting, finances, everything else like that, they kind of are on different paths instead of uh, kind of uh, working together as a team and, and having that uh, same common goal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's almost like a family is like a little business, right? Mm-hmm. You're yeah. so much better off if everyone's moving in a similar direction. We knew, we knew like really early on, we were like our, our values aligned, our beliefs aligned, our goals kind of in line. And um, that was kind of how we started. And we both wanted more out of life. We both knew we wanted, we kind of had big dreams, big vision, and uh, we worked together to, to try to achieve those things. Right. So I think it's a huge, it, it is important. It's very important. No, for sure. And uh, I wanted to go back for a moment here too. You had mentioned on your uh, beginning of your journey and uh, not sure uh, for anybody that's listening, the if they caught the numbers. So you had mentioned uh, $200,000 was roughly the price point at that time, but it only took 10 grand to get into it. So uh, taking uh, a look at that, there's a false perception of you need 20% to get into the market. 5% can get you into the market and start to build that equity for you. So um, and you guys did that twice uh, from what, what I caught there. Yeah. yeah. And so when, when you started to build that portfolio, did you do it again or did you uh, go 20% the next time? What did that look like? Or you were uh, JVing? So other than my primary, um, we'll say first two were primary. Yeah. And then my primary that I live in today, I've never been on title myself. Yeah. Awesome. So it's been uh, the joint venture with the other person going on title then? Yeah, exactly. Awesome. I think too, um, like, I don't know what the average sale price is in your market, but our, like, uh, our team's average sale price this year is 780,000, 20% of 780,000. It's a decent chunk of change. And a lot of people don't have access to that. If you commit to buying a piece of real estate, regardless of whether or not you have the money, um, you'll find a way to get it done. Uh, I always think about this thing in all aspects of life because I'm like anyone else. I'll have negative thoughts. Mike, you, you can't do that. Or how are you going to do that? Um, that's a lot of work. Question I always ask myself is if there was a million dollars over here, what would you do to get whatever the task is done? say the task is to buy a piece of real estate and you have no money. If I'll, if someone pay you a million dollars to find a way to buy that piece of real estate, what would you do? Would you cancel your vacation? Would you maybe work till 9 PM, six days a week? Would you make more calls? Would you bang on more doors? Would you call more JV partners? You do a lot for a million dollars. Yeah. That's what happened to me when I got my license because the banks go from when you're an employee, they love you and then they want nothing to do with you when you get licensed, but I refused to stop buying real estate. So finding joint venture partners was the only option really. Awesome. That's fantastic. And uh, that'll segue kind of into the next question is that if you were to strip it all back with just the knowledge that you have today, where would you start? How would you start going about investing? I mean, I think I would do the same thing. Um, I know a lot of 
people, um, my friends at least, when they think about buying a piece of real estate, they think about buying that first home for their family. So when I look back, one thing I think we did well was not focus on buying the home for ourselves, um, but buying the rental property. You guys would be pretty disgusted if you saw what I lived in when I bought that first rental property. I was living in an apartment in Toronto. Um, after I graduated, I'd literally, you wake up in the morning, you flick on the light and you just see these little things scurry. Um, oh, they were roaches. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Oh. So I owned a house and I was living in a roach infested apartment. Yeah. Um, That's so funny. I didn't stay there that long. We always say our tenants live better than we do. We've always lived. <laughs> I, I think we put more money into our rentals and make it such a nice unit for our for them versus what we would live in, right? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to so that, that sacrifice, right? Yep. I think like nine out of 10 people would have chose, made the choice not to live in the roaster invested apartment and live in the nice condo downtown. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to buy that house if I lived in a nice condo. Now I live in a nice house. It's renovated. There are no roaches. It's great. Nice neighborhood. Um, <laughs> but maybe I wouldn't live there if I didn't make the sacrifice. Yeah, for sure. That's so awesome. true. Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. I don't know if I've ever shared that with anyone. No. Yeah. I, I, I First your, time for everything. I was going to say, I love your yeah. philosophy on that as well, because we're, we're a firm believer in buy your first house as your investment, right? So we were always told like, um, cause we have, uh, like my, my side of the family, my, uh, my dad and my parent, uh, my, my dad and my mom each own, uh, rental properties. Uh, but my dad always said, make sure that whatever you live in, that you can turn into a rental property later on in life. And, um, so that's kind of the philosophy that we used with buying. And then as we started going through this process, we were like, what's the point we moved from London, which was a cheaper market over to Guelph, uh, which is more expensive market. So we had sticker shock. Um, and at the same point, we're like, well, why would we buy anything in Guelph when we can continue to buy in London and uh, build a rental portfolio that's going to pay for our living situation inside Guelph. So um, that's uh, the same approach that we had is that uh, continue to go and, um, you know, uh, create the lifestyle that you want, and then buy the property that you know, uh, suits your family and, uh, and kind of move into that and upgrade over time. Right. So yeah. Awesome that you uh, I was having a conversation with someone uh, yesterday about this. And I, I don't know what generation Canadian you guys are, but I'm, I'm third. And if you're a third generation Canadian life is pretty cushy. Like you don't need to go buy rental properties to live a good life. You can just show up, have a pulse, get a half decent job and, Maybe if you're lucky, you'll get your 70% defined or defined benefit pension at the end of the day. But I was fortunate to grow up with uh, some people that weren't in that situation. Their family uh, in Halifax is a big Lebanese community. Um, and they didn't have the cushy life I had. And I, I had the opportunity to see them evolve over my childhood. And they literally went from the poor kids to the kids whose fathers build the skyscrapers in the city I lived in. And then from there, I, th I thought back, I have a pr pretty interesting story on one side of my family. Um, my gr great grandmother and grandfather, they were from Trinidad. My grandfather 
moved to, he went to Dalhousie to become a doctor. Um, my grandmother went to New York to work in a factory to fund his education. Once he became a doctor, they established themselves. And uh, my grand, great grandmother, what she did was buy rental property. She didn't have an income. My grandfather did well. Um, and he died when he was, he was 55, I believe. Um, and she lived the remainder of her life off those rental properties. Um, wow. And then you saw from there, my grandmother bought rental properties. Then my mother bought rental properties and her siblings bought rental properties. It's kind of it's something my family has always done. That's amazing to have that influence and have that uh, you know, generational path that uh, laid out, right? If, yeah. If you don't have that, you're, you know, the odds are you're not thinking about that as well. Right? Yeah. Then on the flip side of the family, I had uh, my grandmother was a realtor, actually. I remember when I was a little kid, I would go to her house and play around on the MLS. What I realized when she passed away, though, that grandmother on the other side of the family, she's a realtor. I'm sure she did well throughout her career. She didn't buy rental properties. And when she passed mm -hmm. away, there wasn't much left over. So income and passive income are two very different things. I love our business because you can generate massive income for yourself. The problem is most people spend that on the wrong things. So buy the car or the fancy house for themselves or the nice clothing. Um, we have such an opportunity though. You can make hundreds of thousands of dollars in this business relatively easy, easily. If you take all of that and deploy it into the asset you sell, you'll wake up in a short period of time in a place that you didn't think was possible. At least that's been my experience. Yes. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's uh, that, that was, that was amazing. Yeah. Thank you guys. Um, yeah, no, uh, we appreciate you being on, uh, on the podcast with us. Um, Mike, if you were to give a resource recommendation for somebody starting out, uh, where, where would you point them? What direction? whether it be a podcast, whether it be a book, um, and what, what has impacted uh, you? I know that you mentioned the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast uh, and any other um, resources that, uh, that, that you'd recommend. So I, the podcasts I listen to always change. The books I listen to always change. The book, I can tell you the book that started it all for me, it was The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. My life was very messy until I read that book. Um, I like that book. I don't, I don't know if that's the best book ever, but I, I can share what I do that's changed my life. I, I have a series of podcasts. I use Stitcher. I listen to one podcast a day. Um, and then I, I'll read on Audible for an hour a day. So if you do that, it adds up. Yeah. Like if you read for an hour a day, you're probably zooming through a book a week. If you listen to a book a week for a year, there's like, there's no way you're not growing. That would be my biggest recommendation. Focus on that first. The houses don't matter. The money doesn't matter. Um, the material things don't matter. If you just go tunnel vision on growing, uh, like you're going to have more money than you ever need.
I wish I figured that out sooner. I just figured that one out a few years ago. I love that advice. It's so good because we only grow to the extent that we do, right? Like our businesses are everything that we do will only grow if we grow. And if we do that upfront work internally first, so great advice. I think we all need to focus on that first and then start learning, building from there. Right. Awesome. Yeah. It's interesting. We, we were at that Tony Robbins event together and to get the plat membership, it's a hundred grand plus travel to the events. Oh my goodness. That's a ton of money. Who would ever do that? That's crazy. But like, let's not forget, like I paid for two degrees. My parents paid for the first one. I'll give them credit for that. I paid for the second one. That was more than a hundred G's. And I went there and wasted it. I didn't even pay attention. And I had no problem doing that. But yet paying for a great program like, like Tony's is a lot of money. Um, like, once you reach a certain level of maturity where you can actually focus and pay attention, just go nuts on investing in yourself. Yeah. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway that I had uh, in the last little while is that the best investment you can make is in yourself because the ROI is infinite. It, 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 you're you're going to continue to have that return on investment because you've invested in yourself. And the best part about it is that it's not taxable. You're not, you're yeah. not paying a tax on it. You can, it'll help you to earn more. It'll help you to have a better life. So make that investment in yourself. You'll have a infinite ROI on it. So amazing yeah. advice. Thanks so much, Mike. Love that. Thank yeah. you. Can literally just my, I firmly believe this. If you want to be a billionaire, if you want to live to be a hundred, if you want to buy a yacht or a car or be the best father or mother in the world, you can just learn your way to all of those things. But it starts here. It starts here. Yeah. It starts doing the work for yourself, right? And mm -hmm. making those changes so that you can uh, realize that those dreams and that ideal life that you have always wanted. So yeah, love that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks so much for being on the podcast with us. And um, you know, I can't wait to, to share this one with the world. There's so many golden nuggets that, that took out of this and so much great advice. So yeah. thank you so much, Mike. Yeah, thank you guys for your time. I appreciate it. We hope that you enjoyed the show today and that we brought you some value. We'd love it if you give some feedback, let us know what you think about the show and what you'd like to hear. And while you're at it, give us a follow so you don't miss out on any further episodes.